0: Basketball is back, and BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events whether that's the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE to receive your awards. That's B-L-E-A-V, BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. This is episode 46 of season four. And uh, today we are talking about whether there's going to be limits on name, image, and and likeness. So limits on NIL in college sports. So we'll give a quick little background on what that looks like in terms of sort of what NIL is, if you're not familiar, and um, sort of where we're at today, and then looking towards the future in terms of uh, what changes we might see and whether there's any limitations, specifically uh, looking at and sort of dialing down on uh, this idea of paying college athletes a salary, which is something that's been floated by a couple different legislatures across the country, uh, but also uh, something that has been uh, discussed by um, the uh, prospect of a um, college athletes uh, players union. And also by, um, by some of the coaches in, uh, in college as well. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, how this plays out. Uh, but uh, in sort of looking at some of this, I think with regard to name, image, and likeness, uh, this is something that, of course, we're over a year into this now. This began in July of 2021. So we're, we're over a year now. And, of course, we're in December of 2022 now. And uh, name, image, and likeness deals, I, I think, are becoming really a go-to financial option for college athletes uh, and increasingly high school athletes. There was actually an article that was uh, in Front Office Sports uh, that was talking about um, uh, LeBron James's uh, younger son, uh, who's, I think, a sophomore in high school. Has just signed a NIL deal, and um, sort of sort of see how how that plays out. But again, I think the high school aspect is definitely growing uh, with regard to NIL deals, and of course, it continues to grow in college, both across male and female sports. Of course, now universities have also built NIL software programs to help keep track of some of these uh, athletic endeavors for their for their college athletes. Uh, there's even some universities who have helped to broker NI deals uh, on behalf of an entire team or or uh, or department, uh, athletic department. So you might see something like Miami, you know, using some sort of collective uh, to you know broker a larger deal, and then having the the universities kind of oversee some of those deals. And of course, we've talked about on this podcast and in other writings where we've looked at. Um, the sort of the ethics of that and, and in terms of, and the intentions of that, you know, is it right that universities take, if they, if they are, or if they do in the future, um, universities take a percentage or some sort of fee from brokering NIL deals? Should universities be involved in that in the first place? I think this raises, um, you know, a ton of questions. And then of course, um, you know, really back to the question at hand, which is, should there be limitations on NIL? If you talk to a lot of folks in athletic departments, they will tell you uh, that it has been somewhat of a wild west. And so uh, in terms of limitations, it's not only, you know, obviously there was the case where you had, I think it was a quarterback with Middle Tennessee State University signed an NIL deal to endorse the campaign of a local district attorney race. I don't know if that's what the purpose of NIL is. You know, maybe it's just a free market, and you can sort of do what you want. Uh, and then, other than state law that regulates it, uh, that's sort of where it's at. You know, for example, in Georgia, you can't get involved in any of the sin industries, uh, meaning more traditionally, uh, let's say alcohol or marijuana, or you know, any industry that might um, uh, be um, less traditional than, let's say an apparel deal or, you know, signing um, some sort of brand deal, right? Of course, me saying that, I'm a little bit hesitant saying that because normally you might say, uh, you know, oh, well, they signed a crypto deal. But of course, nowadays, um, you know, crypto is is not the most popular thing. And so, um, and athletes are actually, professional athletes are getting sued uh, for endorsing some of those products. We'll see if there's any validity to those lawsuits. Uh, But that is definitely happening, and obviously that would be a big deal if a college athlete endorsed a crypto product and then later on got sued for it. But again, this begs the question of should there be limitations? Some state laws have done this. Other states have not. California, for example, is pretty wide open. You can pretty much sign whatever deal you want other than it cannot conflict with the underlying university. Now, of course, that could mean the university has more rules as to marijuana or alcohol or what have you. Uh, But, uh, again, just something to keep our mind and um, and eyes and ears on. So one thing that's sort of been brought up is this idea of should we be paying college athletes a salary? Should we be treating them as employees? On the one hand, the argument is that college athletes should be paid because they are essentially employees based on not only their schooling, but the time – and this is the more important piece – the practice – the time they put into practice and the play they, the time they put into playing games and traveling. And of course with the additional travel, like when you look at UCLA and USC, if there's going to be additional travel with regard to, and of course that means every school in that, in the big 10 conference, because they're going to have to travel West as well, as much as UCLA and USC are going to have to travel East. But um, it's it sort of, it, it sort of, you have to ask this question of, you know, how these are these students, you know, playing and practicing more, Um, and of course, if there's this expanded playoff, which there's going to be to 12 teams in 2024 with the deal that was just brokered with the Rose bowl, where does that leave college athletes means they're going to be playing more games. So that's the argument on one side. The argument on the other side is that college athletes are students. Uh, They are going to college to receive an education, um, and, uh, they also have the opportunity to. Now, bring in NIL dollars, and particularly they're going to have additional opportunities to bring in money from the new EA college sports game, uh, which is particular to um, the NFL or, sorry, um, college football. I guess maybe a Freudian slip there when we're talking about the NCAA and uh, the NFL uh, with regard to football. But I, I think that, um, you know, and again, the argument would be that, that, it, these student athletes are not employees in the traditional sense, or even in the traditional definition. They are indeed students. Those are the two arguments, right? And I think you could argue all day long as to what that looks like. The current situation is that they are not considered employees, and that NIL is a way for college athletes to make money independently. That is the current situation. The next question to think about is uh, is where will nil money come from, and how would a salary work? So in the current model you have sort of brand signing deals how that changes in the future is yet to be seen but clearly we've seen this whole crypto uh, industry really sort of um have an about face and and so that might not be an opportunity for uh and likely is not to be an opportunity for college athletes going forward but how would a salary work you know it's it, it, that is sort of a, a a very large question in the past several states have flirted with the idea and they've actually introduced legislation that would force universities to split television revenue 50 50 with college athletes and that the revenue let that revenue split serve as a salary for students uh, for these for these college athletes uh, others might argue that a split in television revenue is not necessarily enough it may be too much uh, to satisfy the need or even potential demand uh, but college athletes um, could be paid out of television or apparel dollars that the universities receive. That's the argument, right? That's sort of where that revenue might come from. So for example, if we're talking about the Big Ten, their new television agreement with UCLA and USC included will pay each member school $70 million a year. So the idea would be that some of that money would go to the students. Um, Now, of course, without knowing the financial health of every NCAA member institution – you know or in other words university it's hard to know whether such television dollars could pay the university's bills and their college athletes a salary and you have to think about this for a second and you know, i think most folks uh, might you know especially if they're not a student of the game they might sit back and go well these universities make so much money yes they do they do make money from the sports but you have to remember that for the most part colleges are based on tuition meaning that they get paid from tuition and that tuition then goes to pay teacher salaries most of these teachers are unionized and they have uh, a lot of benefits and a high salary people might argue that's justified and you need the high salary for that but that's not what we're arguing but what we're saying is is that you know again you have to look at the full picture when you're looking at the money that's coming in UCLA for example is more in debt or let me a better way to phrase this would be UCLA's current debt in their athletic department is over hundred million dollars, so that is uh, about a year and a half of the payout that they would get, total payout that they would get uh, from this new Big Ten deal. So clearly, in those first year, that first year and a half, they wouldn't be able uh, to pay their student athletes a salary. And again, this is assuming that this is the right way to go. I'm just presenting this as. Um, as sort of some some athletes and some folks have presented and looking at some of the issues that are going to come up against it. So, again, you sort of have this idea of, okay, where is this money going? Well, college football playoff, that is not an NCAA uh, situation. That's basically the schools who make the playoff get paid a percentage of that money. The NCAA March Madness tournament in basketball, uh, the NCAA gets paid through uh, television contracts, And then the member institutions uh, get money from that as well uh, in a percentage-based sort of system in terms of if you make the tournament and how far you go along. Basketball, men's basketball and football are the two money-making sports. The other sports in colleges are not making money. That may change in the future, but that's the current situation now. And of course, Title IX rubs up against this because there's this sort of situation where Title IX... Uh, doesn't require that, that uh, and this is a federal law, uh, doesn't require that each uh, university have an equal amount of sports between men and women, but it does require that facilities be equal and that there be sort of equal access, right? And so in that sense, uh, there's an additional requirement these universities have to go through. All I'm trying to present is this idea that it's not as easy as it seems just to say, let's split the money and give the money to the college athletes. These universities are essentially using their athletic departments to help pay for the other part of the institution. You have to remember, universities are nonprofits for the most part. I would say 90, 90 I would say over ninety percent of the schools are are nonprofits, and they're not in the business of making money. They're in the business of educating, and this is sort of where the age-old saying comes from. You know, teachers uh, teach, and and sort of doers do, in the sense that. Uh, It's the folks who are practicing uh, that are sort of bringing in the money and and sort of being the innovators. That's not necessarily true across the board, and I'm not saying that I believe that. I'm just saying that there's something to be said about universities being places of academia, not places of business development and places where you make money. But uh, in in sort of the last, uh, let's say, 20 years, uh, universities have made more money from apparel deals. And from television dollars, those things have become more valuable. So just something to keep in mind. Uh, so again, knowing the financial health of a university is going to be very important. We talked about UCLA's debt, what that looks like. And of course, UCLA, or so I was going to say, uh, NCAA's current rules forbid college athletes from being paid directly in any way uh, as a salary. They currently, uh, college athletes can be paid through NIL deals. But it has to be a legitimate deal. It has to be, you know, there's an exchange for something uh, that you're using that college athlete's name, image, and likeness for marketing exposure, for branding. That is a true NIL deal and what most NIL deals look like. So the rules would have to change, uh, you know, for any sort of payment to uh, take place. And again, I'm not suggesting that they should be paid. I'm just saying that there's some of these arguments that have been out there. And we're looking at the validity of some of the validity of some of those arguments, plus some of the roadblocks that are going to come up against this. And I think the roadblocks, the roadblocks in themselves, sort of uh, I think uh, present some of the issues as well. So I think there's three things that are likely to occur if universities are forced to pay college athletes a salary. Number one, the NBA or National Basketball Association is likely to remove its one and done rule and push the G League as an alternative to enrolling in college. Second, the National Football League or NFL is likely to rely on the XFL or the USFL to help train college-ready star athletes for the next level. The NBA and the NFL are the only two professional sports leagues in the United States that require some college or overseas professional experience before entering the draft or playing in their professional leagues. The NBA and the NFL would make the move, I think, for two reasons. Number one, to compete and to bring in athletes earlier. And, and maybe a second reason is more altruistic, uh, and that's to help out the NCAA and the universities who have essentially served as the minor league development systems for the NBA and the NFL for years. I think that is probably one of the easiest fixes, too. It doesn't hurt the NBA or the NFL. They're still going to be able to train they're still going to be able to review some of these stars. It's going to be through a different medium. And maybe it takes more investment dollars. Uh, but um, it's something that's probably going to happen. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I know at least for the NBA it will be easier. I think one of the problems with the NFL and talking with NFL scouts and talking with NFL agents, one of the problems is is going to be that um, the development piece. When you talk to any scout or agent or front office personnel in the NFL, they will tell you that the game – the nfl league or the nfl level at the professional level is much quicker it's it and and um much heavier in the sense that you're going to hit harder and you're going to run faster and that is a big uh, a big time adjustment particularly for a high school um athlete and so there has to be some level of training going on so we'll see how that plays out i think thirdly NCAA and universities would oppose uh, paying college athletes for several reasons. Number one, the NBA and the NFL changing the rules would result in less pressure on universities to pay the college athletes because there would then be a true choice for the the athlete, for the high school athlete, in going pro or enrolling in school. I think that is a huge point to remember. Second, it's unwise um, at best to pay college athletes without knowing the financial health of the universities, Uh, and I think doing a deep dive in terms of uh, what that looks like. I think we need more information uh, on the success and failures of the NIL market that is barely one year old. And I think third, um, the harm to college athletics and amateurism if the result is essentially another professional sports league. Because once you go over into the employment side, then all of a sudden you get into contracts potentially. Are these are these athletes going to sign contracts? Uh, does that open up the market for the universities to help manage some of these athletes? Uh, what does that leave agents and attorneys? Uh, will universities take percentages of some of these deals? And are you essentially really just creating a um, a, a shorter length professional sports league? I, I don't know I mean but I I think that um these are these are legitimate questions that are going to be raised I think maybe most importantly though if any sort of salary were implemented are universities equipped to pay college athletes and again we talked about the financial uh, piece but would it pay a salary based on past or projected statistical performance or comparable college athletes uh, would rookies be paid the same? Would every position be paid the same? Would there be a uniform standard across? Would a, would a union be formed? This creates a whole host of issues that I'm not sure the NCAA or even the athletes are ready to, to to dive into. There's often surveys done of athletes in terms of whether they participated in NIL, and there's still a host of athletes out there that don't know what NIL is, and they haven't gotten involved in it. Uh, or they haven't seen it. They haven't seen it presented to them. Um, I, I can imagine that maybe some some smaller schools uh, are not dealing with NIL, and maybe that the um, uh, the backup star or even the offensive line folks, folks who don't get the, the appreciation that they should are probably not getting NIL deals, right? So how would that all be determined? And, and of course, does it create tension in the locker room where guys are being paid more than the others in the college setting? I don't know. I think that ultimately, um, you know, these folks are are professionals in the sense of their, you know, uh, their approach. Obviously, they're at a high level at their universities uh, in terms of the the their sort of sporting acumen and uh, their intelligence. Intelligence; these are clearly smart people. Um, you know, and of course sort of it, it just begs the question again not only where the money is coming from, but how would you pay them and, and in terms of what's the level? You know, is it a million dollars? Is it five thousand dollars? I think just sort of raises a lot of a lot of questions that are I don't think have been answered and are not ready to be answered. Um, I think it may uh create an unfair advantage for certain colleges who can afford to pay college recruits to join their university. Um would college sports parity fall uh, with the rise in college uh, athletes' salaries? So if you have more of one university paying for a certain level of college athlete, um, would that mean that there'd be less competition? Uh, is there Would there be a salary cap? What about a luxury tax for college athletic payrolls? Uh, will the NCAA continue to regulate college athletics? Will conferences continue to expand? Likely. Uh, will the playoffs grow? They already have. Will the power five uh, gain more independence? They're continuing to do that and they've had independence uh, a little bit more independence than some of the other conferences for for uh, for quite some time now. And I think that you know at the outset you might say, well, hey, an unregulated market might be might be great. But I think that eventually unfairness will step in and it's going to outweigh the benefits. Uh, there clearly should be limitations. And I think the NCAA would be wise to be leading that charge. Um, They recently, or I think are going to be in the near future, uh, bringing in their – the NCAA is bringing in a new president uh, to sort of uh, oversee the NCAA. So I think we might be seeing some changes coming down the line. Uh, I don't think this is going to be an act of Congress. I think this is going to be something where the industry needs to regulate itself, and that particularly comes with the NCAA. But uh, we'll sort of see how this plays out. I, again, the purpose here was to present the issue and to say this is sort of what's been brought up as to should should there be limitations on NIL? What does that look like? And then beyond NIL, uh, should there be or maybe in addition to NIL or as a complement to NIL or even as a part of it, however you look at it, should college athletes be paid a salary? So thanks again, folks. Uh, I'm Jeremy Evans. Uh, this has been uh, episode uh, 46 um, of season four. And we were looking at whether there should be limits on name, image, and likeness in college sports. This is the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. And again, I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. Thanks again for making us the number one sports law podcast in the world. And this show has been brought to you by Bet Online. We'll look forward to being back with you next week. Thank you so much. <laughs>